0: Let me pray, and then let's have a look at what God wants to say to us today uh, from this passage. Let me pray. Dear Lord, uh, we do uh, thank you that we can gather like this. We thank you that you speak to us through your word. And so, Lord, I pray that my words will be faithful to it. Uh, I pray that I will proclaim your truth clearly. But, Lord, most of all, we pray that by your spirit you will convict us of the things we need to hear. Amen. Amen. When you think about light and darkness, they have pretty strong sort of emotional associations, don't they? I mean, take your average suburban park. In the middle of the day, you know, with the swings and all the rest of it, you know, their their places are fun and laughter. You know, they're a happy place. But you take that exact same park at 1am in the morning... And that swing is no longer the happy place, you know, with that that sort of eerie creaking noise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's not fun anymore. That, that's just creepy, and it just sort of builds to this sort of sense of isolation and foreboding. If you've ever had one of those nights where you're just awake all night, there's something plaguing your mind. Uh, There's nothing quite like the dawn to break that loneliness. And so today we're talking about light and darkness. And uh, I want to pick up three themes. John says an awful lot in a few verses. But I want to pick up three themes that he talks about. So firstly, God is light. Secondly, walking in the light means recognizing our sin. And thirdly, walking in the light means confessing our sin. And so for those uh, who missed our first week uh, or who need a quick refresher, uh, John is writing to a, a group of Christians who are beginning to doubt whether they have really got it right. So there are these false teachers who have come along who proclaim to know the truth, but really they're wolves in sheep's clothing. So they come along and they sound credible and perhaps they come with authority, But what they are saying is a fundamental distortion of what Jesus taught. And so John continues in these verses by reminding us of the source of his information. So verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. So John starts the letter by establishing his authority and then just a few verses later he's reaffirming it. What he is proclaiming isn't his truth. He is simply the messenger. He is simply passing on what Jesus proclaimed to him. And so he's in a good place to know the truth because of what he has seen and experienced. And the message begins with understanding the nature of God. So God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So, light has a sense of purity and goodness and majesty and power. And all of those those associations are wrapped up in those words God is light. It speaks to his perfect character and it's a contrast to the evil of darkness. And it speaks to his holiness that he is set apart as something infinitely greater than the rest of his creation. So the psalmist in the Old Testament puts it like this, Praise the Lord, my soul, Lord, my God. You are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. And if we could possibly conceive that majesty and that holiness, then surely our reaction is, who could, who could stand before that? Who are we that we could stand in the presence of God? Uh, there was a very famous atheist uh, by the name of Bertram Russell. He was an English philosopher. Uh, he was once asked uh, in a conversation or an interview... Uh, when he stood before God on Judgment Day, what would he say if God asked him, why didn't you believe in me? And Russell replied, I would say, not enough evidence, God, not enough evidence. I suspect, because he's passed away now, that he has now stood before God, they were not his words. I suspect they were a lot more colourful. Uh, A awful lot less arrogant and a lot more contrite. To think that we could stand defiantly before God is surely the greatest sense of self-delusion. I think our reaction would perhaps be a little bit more like Isaiah's response. He said, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I think that's probably a more accurate reflection of what it means to stand before the holiness of God. But not only is God holy and light, but as light, he also guides our path. He guides us to light. And so as a little bit of a flashback for those who are with us last term, uh, a reading from Micah. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. He'll bring me out into the light, I will see his righteousness. Now at this point, our Christians who are reading this letter and these false teachers, these wolves in sheep's clothing, they would both agree that God is light. But they would fundamentally disagree about what it means to walk in that light. And that's the problem with false teaching, that up to a point, so often, it looks and sounds good. And it's only when you get into the detail that you realise just how wrong it is. And so John wants to say, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So walking in the light isn't just simply acknowledging the nature of God or knowing that God is holiness. It's about responding to God in the way that he calls us to respond. And what's at stake isn't simply fellowship with one another, that we have something in common between us. What's at stake is our fellowship with God. It's a question of whether we are walking in the light and we are right with God, or we are walking in darkness. And perhaps even as we walk in darkness, we might think we know where we are going, but God warns us we are wrong. And so the first step to walking in light is to realise that we have a problem. The blood of Jesus, so in verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So the blood of Jesus is referring to Jesus' death on the cross. Because it's through his death that we can have life. Because it's through his death that he cleanses cleanses us from sin but we can only begin to really appreciate just how important that is if we recognise we've got a problem in the first place. So the writer of Ecclesiastes, again the Old Testament book, says, Indeed, there's no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. I think people often get cranky that Christians always talk about sin. I mean, it's so negative. We much prefer rainbows and sunshine. Uh, And we don't like that feeling of guilt. And we don't want anything that's going to potentially undermine our self esteem. And we certainly don't want to be told that we are walking in darkness. It doesn't matter how we behave or what we do, we want God's peace and comfort. But even though we feel that, the reality is actually we do need to talk about things being wrong. Because if we don't talk about it, if we can't acknowledge it, then we can't do anything about it. And even if we think our behaviour is good, and we're often quite good at highlighting our good behaviour and ignoring our bad behaviour, but even if we do that... I think we all still know on the inside that there is a a darkness, isn't there? Where no one else can see, but but we we feel it. We feel it in our anger, our jealousy, our envy, our lust, our restlessness for life, often the bitterness we hold about what someone did to us. Yeah, when we really look at ourselves honestly, we can see a darkness. And if we recognise that, then we can also start to see a solution. We can recognise that we do need help, not just help from within, but help from outside. Because clearly, we've now had a whole lifetime of this, and clearly we're not good at helping ourselves. We still feel it. But for these wolves, for these false teachers they ignore that darkness and in fact believe they are walking in light. They don't see the darkness at all. So in verses 8 and 10, John is responding to what these false teachers say about sin. Now we don't know the whole story, but the bottom line is clear that they claim to be without sin in the present and they have not sinned in the past. So verse 8, if we claim to be that without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So these wolves feel that they are so spiritually enlightened that sin no longer has any power over them. They are so far beyond sin, it is completely irrelevant. And John wants to be absolutely clear, if we do not recognise our sin then we cannot walk in the light. In fact, we're making God out to be a liar. Because if I haven't sinned, then I don't need anyone to pay the price for my sin, and that means Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. And of course, we know that that is not true as we read the scriptures. I don't think anyone here would suggest that You are perfect this morning. I think if I asked anyone, are you perfect, you would say no. If you feel you are perfect, you might want to talk to someone who knows you. Um, That could be quite a brief conversation. Uh, But none of us probably, I presume, none of us think we are perfect. But we just don't think our lack of perfection is a problem. I mean, God knows what we like and you know, God should really be realistic about human beings. I mean, we are human after all. And so often we're good at justifying our lack of perfection by pointing at someone else. I'd be a heck of a lot more perfect if they weren't so annoying. <laughs> or we turn it back on God. Well, God, you created me this way. So, why should I have to ask for forgiveness for what you simply created me to be? God knows that we are not sinless, clearly. God knows that we are not perfect. But we can recognize our sin. And God does offer a solution for it. So if we are unwilling to recognize it, then we are unwilling to ask for help. But thankfully, if we do confess our sin, if we are willing to recognize it, then God is willing to deal with it. And God is willing to forgive us. So verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And if we are forgiven and purified, that means our sin can no longer accuse us. Yeah, We want to avoid guilt, but we don't do it by simply ignoring our sin. We do it by recognizing our sin, confessing our sin, and then knowing we are freed from it because of what Jesus has done for us. So Jesus pays the price for our sin on the cross and Jesus covers over our sin as we stand before God. So we stand before God pure and blameless, not because of our goodness, but because Christ's death was sufficient for it. And this isn't just about God forgiving us for our sin today. This is about God forgiving us for our sin forever everything that is past, everything that is present, everything that is future. So we were living in inescapable darkness. We're in it and we cannot get out of it. But through Jesus' death on the cross, he purifies us and moves us into indestructible light. So the darkness we couldn't get out of, we now live in light that nothing can snatch us away. And we see, uh, so right now, uh, we confess our sin, but we're not perfect. But we also recognise that we need to continue to confess our sin, don't we? We are purified, but we are not perfect. So, uh, verse 1, chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So we confess our sins and we are saved once. You cannot be saved, lose your salvation, then be saved again. But as Christians who are saved, we continue to confess our sin. Because like any relationship, we continue to acknowledge when we have failed. We ask for forgiveness and we can be confident that we will be forgiven. But there's a warning in this, isn't there? Because the temptation when we're given grace is to then take that grace for granted. If God's going to forgive me every time I sin, well, then I may as well just keep on sinning because I know she'll be right. But God knows our heart, He doesn't just want our verbal contrition, He doesn't even just want our remorse. He wants us to genuinely repent, and that means genuinely turn away from that behaviour and turn back to him. So we won't be perfect, but our authentic faith means that we will seek to be a work in progress, and there are going to be times when we actually find that easier, and we all know that there are times when we feel more connected to God when we, are, we find obedience easier. And there are times when we feel deeply dry in our faith and obedience is hard. But God calls us to be works in progress. And by his spirit, God continues to lead us and guide our steps. But if we're genuine about our confession, if we're genuine about repentance, then we'll be genuinely and earnestly seeking to flee our sin. Christians are often debate, you know, can Christians really fall away? And if you've been a Christian for a while, you know of people, and perhaps people who are very close to you, who at one time talked the talk and walked the walk, claimed to be Christians, looked like Christians, and yet today they would stand and clearly say, Jesus is not Lord and I do not follow him. And so the question for us often as Christians is, is what happened? And I think the Bible, as we look at the whole picture, uh, and it's hard because there are some verses which are clearer than others, but I think when we look at the whole picture, God says that if you have the Holy Spirit, it cannot be taken away from you. And so for whatever they had, and it was genuine to them, but whatever they had... The Holy Spirit was absent.
1: And so, in the words
0: of John from his gospel, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So, whatever they had, it absolutely looked real. But, God, we cannot lose our salvation and God will not take it away from us. So in terms of our relationships with those friends, we keep praying, we keep talking about Jesus with them, and we keep living as a godly witness before them. But if we genuinely have the Holy Spirit, then we will not lose it. I think so far I've focused very heavily on people who are either defiant about sin or perhaps complacent. Uh, But there'll be some in the room today who are perhaps on the opposite end of the spectrum where you feel your sin just so acutely. You know, it's like looking at every sin through a microscope at, you know, 10 times. And it just feels overwhelming. It just feels, you know, emotionally overwhelming as well as spiritually. Absolutely, God wants us to feel the weight of our sin. And in that sense, if that's you, you are blessed because you recognise your sin for what it is. But at the same time, we need to recognise God's grace and forgiveness just as acutely. That your sin is no longer held against you. You are purified. You are right with God. You might feel dirty at times, but Jesus has paid the price for all of it. And so you stand before God clean not because of your goodness but because God is merciful and we know that is possible because of what happens in verse 2 he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sin of the whole world Atonement literally means to make amends for a wrong. So in the context of this passage, God makes amends for our sin and our rebellion by standing in our place. Uh, sometimes uh, in Christian lingo you hear someone say something like, atonement means at one It means being at one with God. Uh, that's not quite true. Uh, atonement is the price paid. Our oneness with God is what is achieved. But it's his death on the cross that it achieves that fellowship together. So in the Old Testament, it used to be an animal. So an animal would be brought uh, to the temple and literally slaughtered uh, as a representation of paying the price for sin. You know, it's a very graphic image of the seriousness of sin. We perhaps lose a little bit of the connection to that because we buy our food from Woolies. Uh, But, you know, a life is given to pay the price for another life. But for Jesus, it is one atoning sacrifice, the righteous for the unrighteous, once for all to bring us to God. So when Christians talk about assurance... It's assurance that Christ's death was sufficient for us. So it doesn't rely on how strongly I feel about my faith on any given day. It doesn't rely on how good I am or the good deeds I do. It relies on Jesus' death being sufficient for me. God is light and he wants us to walk in light. It's not a light that is there to simply humiliate us and show up all our sins. The light here is about giving us freedom. Our sin is dealt with. So walking in the light means sharing in the goodness of that light. That light gives us clarity. That light is a guide to our feet. We know that as we walk in the light, the life will not always be easy. There are going to be times when we feel we are right on the brink of everything we can bear. But even then, that light guides our footsteps. So if you're wondering today if your faith is authentic, then listen to the words of John. If we genuinely believe that God is light, if we genuinely recognise our sin for what it is and then go on to repent, if we recognise that Jesus really is the Son of God who atoned for our sin, then we should be confident of our faith. We should be confident that we will stand before God and he will say, Welcome home, good and faithful servant. But equally, if we can't say yes to those things, and if you're here this morning and you can't say yes to those things, then can I encourage you to think about, are you happy about where you are standing? Are you confident about where you are standing? Because John wants to say, you're standing in darkness, but there is this wonderful light on offer. He wants to say, come and stand in the light, because the light is good. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you that you are light, uh, that you are holy and blameless, uh, that you are all-powerful and that you are in control. Lord, we thank you that you love us uh, despite our sin and that you want to bring us back into your light and that you make that possible through your Son. Lord, wherever we stand this morning, help us to see clearly who you are and what it means to be loved by you. Amen.